When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby And welcome to another edition of Protecting America I'm Rita Cosby Russian jets took down a U.S. drone in international waters southwest of Crimea And our Pentagon has responded by saying the move was, quote, unsafe and unprofessional. Is that strong enough of a response to Russia? Well, joining us now is retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. He is also a retired Department of Defense intelligence operative and also the president of the London Center for Policy Research and president of Project Sentinel. Tony, great to have you here. Hey, Rita, always great to join you, and thanks for having me on this. This is a bit of a complex topic, so I I hope we can break it down and make it understandable for everybody. What is your reaction to the Russian jets taking down the U.S. drone? It was inevitable. The folks I've been speaking to, literally within the last hour in one case, we provoked it. We were actually, we sent that drone in basically in what they're saying is stealth mode, basically because this is an active combat zone. Aircraft all have to emit. Basically, you have the uh, IFF, you know, information, one of those things which actually emits information to tell people on radar what's going on. So we were trying to be half again smart as everybody else and turn all the emitters off, put it in stealth mode. And of course, they send it into an area where the Russians are very sensitive. So it was inevitable. And my problem is not so much that we did it. I mean, you know, th- we did gain apparently valuable information about, you know, how the Russians do things. That drone, the ANQ-9, apparently it's one of those that can be armed. It's a Reaper. It does have a sensor platform that does a spectrum of things, everything from imagery, which we saw the saw the pictures of the SU-27 taking it down. It has uh, signals intelligence arrays that can detect uh, very small emissions regarding tactical communications, as well as uh, radar emissions from ships and things like that. So it's a very effective platform. And we sent it into an area where we knew the Russians would do something. So as much as anything, we knew this would happen. And I'm not judging it to be good or bad. I'm just saying we sent the drone in knowing that something was going to happen. Tell us a little bit more about the capabilities of this drone. Sure. Well, the drone itself is a Reaper. In addition, as a being a Reaper means it can be armed. In this case, I don't think it was armed, but These things have been used extensively in the war on terror to take out terrorist organizations and vehicles and things like that. These things are a weapon system. With that said, the one that was shot down, or downed, I should say, because it wasn't shot down, it was just downed by the SU-27 essentially hitting its propeller, was on a reconnaissance mission, and it was actually in a mode which was designed to essentially try to collect information without being detected. That is to say, it turned off all of its emitters. Whenever an aircraft is flying, and you know, any today, if you go out on a commercial airplane, a commercial airplane is going to have all sorts of, of information coming on and off board 
letting air traffic controllers know where it's at. Same in the war zone, believe it or not. Everybody's trying to track everything. In this case, that system was going in to look at Russian targets in the area of the Crimea. And again, I'm not judging this to be good or bad. I'm just telling you what happened. And the idea was for this drone, our drone, with all those collection capabilities, to get a, a pretty close look at what was going on regarding the Russian, I guess, formations, for lack of a better term, how the Russians are all lined up in the area of Crimea, getting ready to go into Ukraine. That was what the purpose of the mission was. How often are we flying these kind of drones, and how many of them are in that area? Oh, 24-7. No, we've always probably got at least five of these things in the air in some form, someplace around the periphery. We also have Army rotary wing aircraft and uh, piston aircraft flying around, doing things on the periphery of Ukraine, especially out of Poland. And things like this are happening all the time regarding the Black Sea. And to your point, Rita, this was technically in international waters. However, the Russians have declared this a no-fly zone based on their war with Ukraine. So it's like the Chinese. The Chinese declared certain areas of the Pacific and the Red Sea to be no-fly zones. And obviously, we still fly in there and antagonize them. So again, I'm not judging the tactic. The tactic is what we do. We've done it since before the Cold War. I'm just telling you, know, telling you and your audience that uh, the Pentagon kind of knew something was going to happen. They didn't know it was going to be this level of response, but they knew that they were going to provoke something to happen when they sent that thing into airspace, which the Russians consider to be controlled airspace. Do you think they anticipated how to respond if that were to happen? No. As a matter of fact, uh, that was the other thing I learned. It's like, no, the Pentagon really didn't know that this would be the response. They thought there was a possibility of being shot down because anytime you go into an airspace like that, and it's declared to be a no-fly zone by someone like the Russians, there's always a chance that something's going to happen. This clearly was, the response was clearly meant to send a signal. And I said this in the media before I even saw the videos. The actual passes dumping fuel on the drone is akin to a dog raising its leg on a fire hydrant. That's what that was meant to send. It was a signal. And just like the Cold War, we're back to doing provocative things to each other to send messages. And that was meant to be a signal. And I saw Lindsey Graham had said just, uh, you know, recently that Reagan would have shot airplanes down. It's like, no, Reagan would not have shot airplanes down because during the Reagan White House years, as you and I have spoken about before, they had a very strong military ready to use it. We had no such military ready to use. And it would be insane for us to confront the Russians at this point, not being combat ready. Reagan would have been ready to use force if he was forced to. In this case, Biden is not. And if you go provoking the Russian bear and you're not going to ready to back it up with strong military force or the threat of military force, you've got a Joe Biden who basically has the, the oatmeal brigade behind him and nobody finds him credible. Let me ask you to that end, Tony Schaefer, sure. because it seems like the White House has been fairly tepid in their response to Russia on this. What message does that send? It sends a message that these Russians thought. Rita, this is what I mean. It's like Reagan would have said a series of very strongly worded things relating to there's going to be consequences for this action. Rita, have you heard one comment from the Pentagon or from the White House saying there's going to be consequences for this action? No. They've all been trying to explain it away as an accident or this was unsafe. No, this was a message, Rita. The Russians are sending us a message and we failed to respond adequately. Bullies will continue to push you until you push back harder and more effectively. And as much as I am not for getting us into a war, the more weakness we display, the more we will assure a strong and continuous aggressive response from the Russians.
I'm just saying that's the way the world works. And the Biden administration and being essentially manned by a high school debating team doesn't seem to understand that they can't speak the language of, of the 21st century modern warfare. You know, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been criticized by a lot of people, and a number of people have come out and said he sounds more like Secretary of State than Secretary of Defense in the way he's handled that. Do you agree and why? I do. Look, I know Lloyd Austin. I served in combat with him. He was a brigadier general I served under, and he approved my bronze star. With that said, the Lloyd Austin of today is not the Lloyd Austin of combat, clearly. Lloyd Austin has become essentially an advocate of woke politics that includes a tepid, if not a completely feckless defense that responds to threats by words of hope and reconciliation, not aggressive, essentially posturing to say there's going to be consequences if you continue to do things aggressively. So as much as anything, Rita, we were aggressive. We did things to prompt this. But coming back and saying, oh, well, we, you know, it's we really didn't mean to do it by Austin, the way he's doing it, simply going to, again, encourage and ensure more aggressive behavior back in our direction. Reagan would have stood up and said, yeah, well, look, uh, we were doing something. We felt it was our obligation to understand more clearly what was going on. The aggressive response by the, the Russians will be met by some consequence. We don't know what that's going to be, but there's going to be a consequence. Rita, no such language was used. Austin should have used such language to say, as much as anything, we're not going to tolerate being pushed around. What about General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs? Because he seems to also be very soft, and he's supposed to be sort of the warrior at the top warrior for the U.S. government. He is. He's chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and I've dealt with a few to include Mark. And Mark's response on this, again, is very, it's very much politically correct and essentially more like, oh, I'm sorry I bumped into you in the hall than being definitive and saying, you know, we were doing a job necessary to help us understand better what's going on. And, you know, it's a shame that the Russians decided to be aggressive. There's going to be consequences. Instead, it's like, yeah, it was unsafe. It was, Of course it was unsafe. It was unsafe because it was meant to send a message. And again, these people are acting like they don't understand what's going on, Rita, and that's what makes it most dangerous. Why are they soft on Russia, or is it just soft on aggression? It's soft because at this point, the policy is not to win and it's not to lose. It's somewhere in between. Now, I've been accused before of being, you know, pro-Russian. I'm not. I Putin is a thug. What I'm saying, and this is what my message is consistently, you need to pick what we're going to do. You need to set up in-state objectives that we, the United States, want to achieve. Do we want to win against Russia using Ukraine? Then you need to set that up as a policy objective and then act as such to actually provide weapon systems and strategy to do that. Right now, Rita, we have this model of tactics. Sun Tzu once said, tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Well, that's where we're going, because there's no cohesive strategy. There's no cohesive message. Everybody is just phoning it in. They're doing all this technology, throwing it into the battlefield and hoping for the best. And as you and I both know, hope is not a strategy, not, and especially one that's not going to win a war for us. You know, as we're talking, of course, about Russia, we know that the fragments of that drone are in the Black Sea, like four to right. 5,000 feet, apparently, in the ocean there. And Russia right away sent a ship there. We don't have any ships in the area. What can they right. learn from the drone if they get access to some of the parts, if any are even able to be deciphered? That's a great question. It looks like the drone probably hit and fairly, it didn't split apart as much as I think that we would have hoped. But with that said, I think the Russians have already had these things captured before. I think there's been a number lost over the years that we've not admitted to that have been lost in the Middle East. 
I'm sure the Russians do what we do. We, you know, anytime we see a, a Russian technology, piece of technology go down, we grab it. I used to do something called foreign material acquisition as a very young case officer, where we'd go out and steal, purchase, or otherwise obtain Soviet technology for our own analysis. I'm sure they do the same thing. At this point, I think they would want to look at it just to see what upgrades and other technology we've added to it. So would it be instructive to tell them how we're doing stuff? Yeah, it, it would be useful to that. But I don't think we're giving up anything new that they've not already seen in the past that we've used on the battlefield. You know, Tony, I want to ask you about this hypersonic missile that Russia has been using of late. We saw it like early on in the war. Now it's come back. Explain the significance of that. So those weapons were actually designed to take out aircraft carriers. They're very fast. They're very effective. There is, frankly, no counter. We have no countermeasure to stop it. And that's not a good thing. These things were designed as essentially near the end of the Cold War and into the 21st century now they've been refined. And they're very fast, and the Russians have been using them instead of against maritime targets, which they were designed for. Again, they were designed to take out our aircraft carriers. They're using them against large infrastructure targets in Ukraine. And their target is they can't be stopped. Patriots can't do it. There's no weapon system we currently have in the inventory that can stop a, a hypersonic missile. I know DOD is scrambling right now to try to figure out this, uh, this issue. This is going to be a tough nut to crack because – we ignored this as a threat since the 60s. We knew these things could be could be made. There was a conscious choice made. You know, my friend Ambassador Hank Cooper has schooled me on this. Hank was one of the guys who was working on the Strategic Defense Initiative and, and actually looked at these sorts of things as a potential weapon system. We decided not to go down that technology path at the time. The Russians did. And now we have a class of weapons that we can't stop. And we can't help the Ukrainians stop it. The Russians have now had time over the past year to build a, a bunch more. I think at the beginning of the war, they had like 20 of these things. They used most of them, and now they've been building them. And another thing to remember, Rita, the Russian economy is on wartime footing. They have never stopped having available to them a large part of their manufacturing infrastructure available for just what they're doing it for, swing it up to do wartime issues. And so they've had a wartime economy going for over a year now, and that's what that's why you see things coming on the battle space very rapidly to include these new missiles, hypersonic missiles. And they're going to probably continue to use them with impunity because, again, we have no way to stop them at this point in time. Is that considered sort of a game changer on the battlefield for Russia? Well, Russia has changed its tactics dramatically. I mean, from their incursion a year ago to now, it's a completely different strategy and a different set of weapon systems they're employing. So, yeah, I think they've learned a lot of lessons. And this is the problem. And again, I'm not taking sides. I'm just stating the facts. The numbers that the Russians are using are an order of magnitude larger than what Ukraine can muster to include these new weapon systems, which cannot be stopped to hit power plants and things like that. It's one of those situations where the Ukrainians at this point, unless there's, there's ground forces or other technology introduced by the West, the Russians will simply continue to attrit and patiently wear down the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are going at 100 percent every day. The Russians are going about 25% every day, and you can't go 100% to 25% indefinitely. Something's got to give, and I think that's where we're at right now in the war. Where do you see this headed? I mean, there have been, as you mentioned, even some of these horrible stories that have been coming out of Bakhmut with the Wagner Group and so yeah. forth. Where are we going with this? So that's part of the problem. Bakhmut is a, what they call a cauldron. The Russians used this during the Second World War against Germans. They would essentially allow the Germans to be semi-encircled, Germans would continue to try to hold terrain and just waste their resources and energy trying to basically sustain terrain. And that's what they've done here. The Russians are letting the Ukrainians use 100 percent of their force all the time. 
Zelensky has been advised by the Pentagon to pull out, to fall back, and set up a secondary lines to actually kind of pull out. And Zelensky says, no, 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 we're wearing the Russians down. It's like, yeah, you're not really wearing the Russians down since they have literally an order of magnitude more forces than you do. So this is one of those situations where I think the Ukrainians continue to use employ forces uselessly. That is to say that they, they cannot hold back moot because eventually they're just going to be overwhelmed by the waves of Russians. We all know Russians are willing to take casualties. That's not new. So I just believe that at this point, Bakhmut is a key terrain feature that the Russians are going to probably win. I think most Western media outlets are now kind of accepting that as, as something very likely. And that means we have to consider what we do to help Zelensky once they lose that. Because once they lose that, Rita, the spring comes, the ground gets dry, gets solid. Uh, there's not much that's going to stop the Russians from moving west towards the Dnieper River. And the Ukrainians just don't have the numbers to stop them at this point in time. Where do you think China is playing in all of this? Because we know that President Xi is meeting with Putin soon. Then he claims he's trying to broker a peace deal or at least try to be a mediator in all this. Do you think they're honest brokers and do you think they can do anything? Well, they're not honest brokers, but yes, they're trying to insinuate themselves for purposes of advantage. Basically, Rita, what they've done is replaced us, the U.S., both in the Middle East, because they just negotiated this deal between the Saudis and the Iranians. That's a huge issue. And now they're trying to be the quote-unquote peacemakers in this war with the Russians and Ukrainians. This is what they're trying to do for purposes of global influence. This has nothing to do with us, other than trying to push the United States out of having an effective foreign policy program that allows us to be the ones who referee and work these things out. These actions by the Chinese are designed to telegraph to Africa, to India, to other members of the world that the United States is no longer a good partner and will not be the ones who stand up and try to negotiate. We're the adults in the room. It's very dangerous. And by the way, uh, Blinken, all these these State Department folks knew this this was all coming, and they did nothing to get ahead of it. And that's the second mistake they made, Rita, is that you know, they knew this was all coming. They knew that the Chinese were going to do this, and they did nothing, and then they allowed the Chinese to gain advantage. So this is, will they do the 12-point peace plan? Eh, maybe. But the damage is already done. The damage is that we no longer are seen as the world leader in trying to help resolve these sorts of conflicts. And the Chinese are now in the position both to resolve it as well as arm the Russians if they chose to do so, because, you know, we've done nothing to deter their bad behavior. And finally, have we sort of, to that end, sort of given up the power structure? I mean, we're seeing this alliance, as you talk about, with China, Russia, Iran. They're joining partners. It seems like sort of like an access of evil, a new access of evil. And we are sort of on the sidelines with President Biden, it seems. We are. And BRICS is coming. BRICS is going to further hamper the entire economic structure of the world. Ultimately, my friend, Brigadier General Retired Blaine Holt, and I talk about this often in the media. This is all about undermining our currency, ultimately. They want to remove the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. That is to say that most energy transactions right now, reader, are done in the U.S. dollar. They want that to end. And the moment that happens, the moment our currency is not the reserve currency and its value is less and it's being less, as you just saw, they're pumping two more billion dollars into the economy to save the banks that should not be saved, just saying. The constant attack on our monetary system is going to crash our economy. So President Trump rightfully linked our economy and economic prosperity to national security. This is the example that he was trying to get to. And either because they're too stupid to understand or really do want the economy to crash, the Biden folks are allowing all of these things to happen. They are like passengers in a runaway car. 
pretending they can't drive and, and know what to do. And I think that's the danger we're facing right now. That is a huge concern for the world and obviously, first and foremost, for our country. Yeah. Well, everybody be sure to subscribe and share this really powerful podcast. Tony Schaefer, you are terrific. Thank you for everything you do to keep us safe. Thank you for your candor and thank you for your great service to this country. We really appreciate you being here, Tony. Sure. Thank you. We'd always great to join you. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.